Welcome to Leading Lights. You're about to hear a message from Lighthouse Church. So we're talking about being a complete Christian and we're getting to the end of this process now. He says you add to your faith virtue. You add to your virtue knowledge. You add to knowledge self-control. You add to self-control perseverance. You add to perseverance godliness. And we said last week that godliness is where that internal love and righteousness and power of God is starting to break forth into sight so other people can see it in your life. But now the last two are brotherly kindness and love. And they are two Greek words that both mean love. And they're talking about how you impact and relate to other people. It's not about you anymore. It's not about just you and God. It's now how do you relate and interact with other people. And he says in verse 6, sorry, verse 7, To godliness add brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness love. For if these things are yours and abound, you will be neither barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. And then he goes on to say you'll have abundant entrance into the kingdom of heaven. Brotherly kindness is the word Philadelphia or phileo, which is a Greek word meaning love towards one another. And the last word love is agape, which is a Greek word meaning the God kind of love that he pours into our hearts and we pour out. We're going to look at these today. In this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. That's 1 John 4 verse 10. And it says that love is shown to us by Jesus. There's many other verses that say something similar to this. 1 John 3 verse 16 says that by this we know love because he laid down his life for us. We know what love is because Jesus showed us what love is. In John, he says, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you. Now, this wasn't a new commandment. We were told in the Old Testament, love your neighbor as yourself. But now Jesus came and he said, I'm showing you what love is, that you love one another as I have loved you. Because this is love, that he laid down his life. That in this is love, that we didn't love him. He loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. He laid down his life. It's interesting in that passage in John where Jesus says, by this, a new commandment I give to you. He then says, by this, all men will know that you are my disciples. If you love one another, a new commandment, love as I have loved you. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Jesus put a big emphasis on this word love. And he actually took an old Greek word, agape. You know, in the Greek language, there are several different words for love. We in English just use the word love indiscriminately. We use it um, in social media posts to say we love uh, ice cream and we love our dog and we love God and we love our spouse. It's, it's just an indiscriminate word. But in Greek, 
There were various different words for love, many of them. The three main ones are eros, which is talking about romantic sexual love. Then there was phileo, which talks about brotherly affection, kindness, friendship, love. And then Jesus made a new word. The word agape existed, but experts have looked through ancient Greek writings to find this word agape, and they say it almost doesn't exist. It's hardly ever used. And when it is used, it doesn't really have a strong meaning. But Jesus took the word and he then redefined it to say, by this we know love, the laying down of our lives for each other. A new commandment that you love as I have loved you. It's a, it's a God kind of love. Isn't that amazing? And if it's something that Jesus says is the defining characteristic of Christians, then I want to know what this love is and I want to know how to live in love. Do you remember in 1 Corinthians 13, it says, these three remain, faith, yes, faith, we get saved by faith, and hope, yes, the hope of heaven and eternal life, yes, and love, and the greatest of those three is love. Let me read you a couple of interesting scriptures out of Colossians. Colossians 3 verse 14 says, Above all these things put on love, which is the bond of perfection. So Paul is writing to the Colossians just before this, when he, when he says above all these things put on love, just before this he's been describing brotherly love, human kindness and affection. And he says we must have that. Let me read it to you. He says, put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering, bearing with one another, forgiving one another. If anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so you also must do. He says, be kind, be loving, be uh, friendly, be generous, be gracious to one another. But we can do this with God's help and our own strength. But then he says, but above all these things, put on agape, put on love, which is the bond of perfection. What an interesting little phrase, the bond of perfection. Now that word bond has been used just a chapter earlier in Colossians, where he says that we are nourished and knit together by joints and ligaments. And that's that word bond, ligaments. So he uses a picture of the human body and he says, you have a human body that has all these amazing systems and organs. You have a heart that pumps non-stop from when you are conceived to when you die. An amazing organ. You have a brain that can control and link everything together. You have bones that hold you upright and make you strong. You have kidneys and, and all these different systems and organs. But without the ligaments, without the connective tissue that joins them all together, a human body cannot exist. Have you ever thought of that? It's the ligaments that bring it all together, make the human body as strong and as an amazing machine as it is. And he says that one of those ligaments, one of those bonds, one of those connective things that nourish and knit us together is love. He says, put on love, which is the bond, the ligament of perfection. And again, just to remind you, it's the Greek word agape, God's kind of love, a new word for love. Jesus says, as I lay down my life, this is a demonstration of love. 
and he says that this is the bond of perfection. So we know that it's a bond. It's a thing that links us. If I put on agape, if I see what agape is, if I understand it, and if I allow it to change me and then to be displayed through me, if I put on love, if I, if I allow God's love to clothe and envelop me and cover me and surround me, wow. If I put on love, then it becomes the bond of perfection that ties me and links me, the ties that bind us. It links me to other believers and to God. Isn't that an amazing statement? And then he says, it's the bond of perfection. Now, I know that I'm not perfect. And you know that as well about yourself. None of us is perfect. But he says there is something perfect that we can put on. It's called agape love. Isn't that an amazing statement? So I would like to read through a description of agape love in the New King James Version and just show you some of the characteristics of agape love. You may know this passage from weddings, from another version of the Bible, but I'm reading it from this version right now. It says, love suffers long. 1 Corinthians 13 verse 4. Love suffers long and is kind. Just imagine a person being described by this. Imagine you being described by this, because this is the love that God has poured into our hearts. The Bible says in Romans 5, the love of God has been poured into our hearts or shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. Love suffers long, suffers long. <laughs> this means patience. This means putting up with things when, when somebody lets us down, when we um, are cross with ourselves even, we realize God suffers long with me. God suffers long with me. He's very patient with me. And then it goes on to say it's kind. Kind means generous, giving extra, giving more than is required. We give extra to other people. Why? Because the love of God has been shed abroad in our hearts. He's been kind to me. He gave me more than I ever deserved. Forgiveness, love, peace, his power, fellowship with him. I didn't deserve it, but he was kind and so it pours out of me. Love does not envy. Love does not parade itself. It is not puffed up. You know, there is a tendency in this modern world for us to put ourselves forward and to promote ourselves and say to everybody, look at me, look at how great I am, look at all my achievements, look at my, the highlights of my day on my social media, look at what I've been eating, look at how much I've achieved this year, this week, whatever it is. But it says that love does not parade itself and is not puffed up. We're not overly impressed with ourselves. Why? Because we realize God poured this into me when I didn't deserve it. I am humbled because I know God loves me even though I didn't deserve it. And a byproduct of this is I don't envy. You see, envy, we think envy is worrying about what someone else has got and wishing we had it. But it's actually an overemphasis on myself. I'm always thinking of myself. I'm puffed up. I'm thinking of me. And so when I see somebody else doing well, I get envious because I'm worried about myself. But love says, great that you got a promotion. Great that you've done well, that you succeeded in that thing. I'm not envious. I'm rejoicing and celebrating with you. Can you see how this is a different kind of love, agape love? He goes on to say, it does not behave rudely. It does not seek its own. It is not provoked. And it thinks no evil. 
Now, rudeness, another version says uh, honor, it honors or, or it does not dishonor. Rudeness and honor are opposites of one another. Honor means I esteem you, I say you're important, I treat you with respect uh, and value, and I don't demean you. Rudeness is the opposite. It's pulling you down, it's insulting you. And I wonder if we as Christians really are displaying this love that Jesus said would be the defining characteristic of his followers. They will know you are Christians by your love, he said. Do we display honor or do we display rudeness? You say, I'm not rude. I'm not rude to my family. I'm not rude to people I love. I'm not rude to people close to me. Can I ask you, my dear friend, what about other people? You say, am I supposed to be loving to everybody, to the president of another country who I think is doing a bad job? Am I, am I supposed to honor them? What about the, the politicians in my own country? What about the, the bad people who are doing crimes around the world? What about other Christians who think differently to me and have slightly different views? Am I, am I supposed to honor them? Surely I must call them out by name and say they're doing bad things. You see, love is not rude. And love is not just for the people that I naturally love. It's for everybody. Jesus said, love your neighbor as yourself. And a lawyer came to him and said, well, who's my neighbor? Let's, let's define our terms. Surely I can just say these people are my neighbors so that I can love them. And Jesus told the parable of the Good Samaritan, which basically says, try and make everyone your neighbor, even the people who you would normally exclude. Love is for everybody. We're supposed to not be rude to anyone. That's one of the defining characteristics, how we speak and how we behave is honoring to people. You say, Greg, I'm still not convinced. Titus chapter 3 verse 2 says, Speak evil of no one. Speak evil of no one. No one. We're not supposed to call out people by name and say they're bad, they're charlatans, they're wicked, they're corrupt. Some of the things I, I hear and see coming out of the mouths of supposed Christians and, and just ripping other people by name, or, or Christians saying things about public figures, I often wonder, are we displaying the love that God wants us to do? One more scripture, 1 Peter 2 verse 17 says, Honor all men, all men. Honor all men. Speak evil of no one. Honor all men. Right, let me move on. Love is not rude. It does not behave rudely. It does not seek its own now we're getting to the crux of the matter. Jesus laid down his life, not because it benefited him, but because he was thinking of others. He laid down his life for us. Love does not seek its own, is not provoked. This means that others can do wrong things to me, can treat me badly, and I am not quick to respond, and I don't respond out of anger and emotion. It takes me time to think about it. And when I do respond, it's a measured response. I'm not provoked. I'm not flying off the handle and reacting with knee-jerk reactions emotionally to things that happen to me. And then it says, thinks no evil. This means that I think the best of other people. When I see a situation, you know, every situation that you see or hear about, you may hear that there is a rich billionaire somewhere in the world 
who is trying to do some evil thing through this time of pandemic. You may hear that somebody is trying to manipulate things and you may hear all these stories and, and, and rumors and charges and allegations against people. And the world would say, just speak evil of them. And some Christians even speak evil of them. But the Bible says we don't speak evil, but also we think no evil. We assume that they, those are just rumors until we know for sure. You can research all the facts and try and get all the facts. But when there's a doubt, and there almost always is a doubt, we give the person the benefit of the doubt. We assume the best of people. This is so challenging. He goes on to say, it does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth. This means that we want to find out the truth. You know, there are so many ways that you can um, put a light on a situation. Somebody can say something to you. And just by a tone of voice or by leaving some facts out or by saying it in a certain time or way, they can make somebody seem bad and they can put an, a, a dark shadow on something or somebody. And this says that we rejoice in the truth. We want to know the truth. We want to see through those things and we want to say, what is the actual truth behind that? Is that really true? And if there is a doubt, then I give the person the benefit of the doubt. And verse 7 says, love bears all things. There is an ability to take uh, abuse, to take bad things that other people are doing because God has poured his love into our hearts. He took the bad things of the whole world on the cross for us. Therefore, I can share that love with others. And I can say, Lord Jesus, what I'm going through is nothing compared to what you went through. You took it for them. You paid the price. Therefore, I can handle this. And they're not attacking me. They're actually probably just angry with themselves. They probably have all sorts of issues going on. Or maybe they're even attacking somebody else like you through me. Bears all things, believes all things. This goes to that thing of not thinking evil. I trust somebody. I believe the best of them. Hopes all things. I always hope for the best in a person and in a situation. And I don't jump to the wrong conclusion and endures all things. Isn't that challenging? I'm deeply challenged because I believe that if love is the defining characteristic, that everyone will know we are Christians by our love, that we as Christians are not doing a good job. I think we speak evil. I think we think the worst. I think we don't forgive. I think we jump to conclusions. And I think we don't bear things. We take things personally and we want to get back at people. And we don't act as Colossians said. You know that brotherly love section just before it said, above all that, put on the, the bond of perfection of love. He said, forgive and, and be gentle. Let me just read it to you again. Colossians 3. He says, put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, <laughs> meekness, long-suffering, bearing with one another, forgiving one, one another, meekness. I just love this. You know, sometimes we think if I criticize another person, it makes me seem better. But what about if we put on meekness? If we just said, let me not criticize and let me not try to make myself seem like the judge who can judge other people, but just say, I have faults too, and I'm going to allow meekness to flow through me. And I, I want to just close by saying, if we get this love, 
then it will flow through us. And one of the ways that we can get this love is by understanding the situation we were in when Jesus died for us. Let me read that passage from 1 John 4 again. It says, In this is love, not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. In this is love, not that we love God, but that He loved us when we didn't love Him. In Romans 5, it says, God demonstrates His love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. I want to spend a few moments just convincing you, my dear friend, that you didn't choose God. <laughs> you did choose God eventually after He had given you the ability to choose Him. But you and I were so far from God when He showed His love for us. We sometimes think God is lucky to have us on His team, that He is just so grateful that we chose Him. And I want to tell you that we were desperately sick and needy and had no hope of salvation and could not choose Him and could not reach out for Him until He gave us the love and the ability that we needed. And when you see this, my friend, you will realize the love of God is shared abroad in your hearts and it will help you to pour it out. So Psalm 10 verse 4 says, The wicked in his proud countenance does not seek God. God is in none of his thoughts. When I didn't know God yet, God was in none of my thoughts. I, as a, a human being, apart from God's intervention, apart from God's action in my life, God is in none of my thoughts. I don't seek Him. I can't seek Him. Friend, that was you. The Bible says you and I were in that situation. You say, show me more. Matthew 7 verse 18 says, A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a bad tree bear good fruit. There is no way that I, as a bad tree, could choose for God on my own. I was a bad tree and not a single piece of good fruit could come out of me. You say, mm, I'm not convinced. Jeremiah 17 verse 9 says, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? You see, not only am I desperately sick, but it's a, a sickness that deceives me and tricks me into thinking that I'm actually quite good. It's deceitful above all things, desperately wicked or sick. And who can know it? My own heart is, is a mystery to me. And before I know God, I am away from Him. I'm being tricked by my heart. Romans 1 talks about uh, our minds being darkened. Ephesians 2 talks about us being by nature objects of wrath or anger or punishment, by nature. And then this last one, Ephesians 4 verse 17. He says, you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk. So he's saying everyone who doesn't know God is like this. In the futility of their mind, all their thoughts are futile. They can't think right or choose God. Having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the blindness of their heart. So what are you saying, Greg? I'm saying simply what Jesus said in John 6 verse 44. He said, no one can come to me unless the Father 
draws him. Friend, let me put it to you another way. If you have ever felt a stirring in your heart to know God, to love God, maybe a pang of conscience, maybe a desire to get right, to be made right with God, maybe a desire to worship Him and get close to Him. You cannot have that unless the Father draws you, unless the Father pulls you with that love of His, unless God puts something in you that says, seek God, want God, know God, love God. You and I are far from God. The wicked in his proud countenance does not seek God. God is in none of his thoughts. No one can come to me unless the Father draws him. The fact that you want God, the fact that even now you're feeling a desire to have this love of God is because God is drawing you. And if God is drawing you, the Father of love, who keeps no record of wrongs, who, who overlooks, who forgives, who loves, who, who blesses, who accepts, who is kind and patient, that God is drawing you and loving you. Now, let me just say that there are some schools of thought that I believe have interpreted this wrongly. One school of thought says, if God draws people, then anyone God draws, they will become a believer. And therefore, only some people are being drawn by God. But the Bible makes it clear that that's not true. God is not willing that any should perish. John 12, verse 32, Jesus said, If I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw all men to me. Every man has been given this drawing. Every single human being on the planet has been drawn by God. At some stage in their life, they have felt this love and this compassion and this forgiveness and this desire to know God better. Titus 2 verse 11 says, The grace that brings salvation has appeared to all men. Jesus died for the sins of the whole world, the Bible says. God so loved the world that he gave his son that whosoever will believe in him will not perish but have everlasting life. So God draws everyone. But now this is the crux of the matter. When God draws me, I must say yes. And I'm a bit like a beggar sitting on the street. And I've been a beggar for so long that I, I forget what it's like to not be a beggar. And I've got holes in my clothing. I've got no possessions. I've maybe got one little brass penny in my pocket. I, I have nothing to my name and my emotions, my body, my physical health, my material well-being. Everything has been degraded to the stage where I am just a slave sitting on the street begging. And for some of us, we convince ourselves that actually that's an okay place to be. And we think we're better because there might be a beggar next to us who has one more hole in his trousers than we have. But God comes with his love and he draws us and he says, I love you. Just like the prodigal son was sitting in the, in the pig's swill, eating what the swine were eating. And he came to his senses, the Bible says. that was, in, in spiritual terms, that's the father drawing him. He came to his senses and he said, what am I doing here? Let me go back and beg my father to become his servant. It's the same with us. God reaches out to us and he puts something in our heart and he says, I love you. Will you come to me? And all we have to do is reach up our hand, take the hand of the loving God with the, the eyes of love the hand that has nail marks in it 
and the eyes that are blazing with fire, but the fire of love. And he says, come, I will forgive you. I will wash you. I will cleanse you. I will make it as if you've never sinned. I will pour value and, and worth and goodness into your heart. I will make you a new creation. I will make you born again. And we simply put out our hand and we say yes. And he pulls us up. But we have to say yes. Will you pray with me? Lord God, thank you for your love. Thank you that I in myself could not reach you, that I was dead and by nature an object of wrath. But you drew me, you poured out your love, and even now you're drawing me. And Lord, I say yes. I receive this love and this forgiveness, even though I don't deserve it. I receive it and I say thank you for washing me, for giving me worth and value, for loving me. And Lord, now as I put on this bond of perfection, I thank you that I can pass it on to others. Thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening. Please visit leadinglightsnetwork.com for more resources and subscribe to our podcast on iTunes. Please consider supporting this ministry by making a donation on the giving page at leadinglightsnetwork.com or lighthousejersey.com.